0: Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and welcome to the Garden Gurus Live. It's our weekly show where Joanne Harris and I share seasonal garden advice. We feature a variety of garden lovers from all over Australia and the world and we give you the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like the Garden Gurus Facebook page and tune in every week. This live stream is brought to you by Still and Garden Express. Garden Express is Australia's largest online and mail order garden supplier. Leading the way in helping customers create beautiful gardens. From their garden centre to your door, their easy to use ordering system takes the fuss out of planning your garden. To create your dream garden, head to gardenexpress.com.au. Well, good morning. We're in our new little uh, studio. I hope you like it. I've missed catching up with you guys uh, each each week and uh, it's great to be back with The Garden Guru's Live. You know, this is our chance to interact with each other and to share advice but at the same time answer your questions. So um, it's wonderful to be back. Of course, I'm Trevor Cochran and uh, I have the pleasure of hosting this on quite a few occasions. Every once in a while you'll have Joe Harris join you or maybe Darren Senor. But... It's my pleasure to be answering your questions today, and we've got a very, very important guest coming up very, very soon. And uh, it's Dr. David, who is a bee expert, a bee biosecurity officer. Um, At the moment, you'll all be aware that there's some pretty significant problems um, in Australia with bees or worldwide, but we've had the Varroa mite arrive here in Australia, and that can be devastating to bee colonies. We'll talk to David and we'll get some advice on, on for those of us that have bees. Um, We'll get some advice on uh, how to to get the best results from them. We've got David Van Berkel. Of course, our great friends from Garden Express are back. And, uh, uh, David, we're chatting a bit later on. And we have got an amazing plant um, offer. It's a a very, very special, very difficult to get your hands on plant. Um, You are going to love it. I will talk about that a bit further on. I'll be showing you my plant of the week. Can you guess what it is? There it is. Um, and we'll also talk to you about uh, the Garden Guru Spring Series, which actually kicks off on Channel 9 nationally tomorrow. But for the moment, please send us in your questions and I'll try and answer as many as I can. And don't forget, always put your state and your city. It helps when ascertaining exactly where you are and what sort of environmental conditions you're going through at the moment. We've got a few prizes. We'll have some packets of seeds. And, of course, if you want to, uh, to tell your friends about this particular um this particular show all you have to do is hit the like button and it's really a wonderful way for us to share things so it's really good i think um we may well be heading towards our uh our interview first up i think is that right so um we do yes there we go we have uh, dr david joining us our bee expert good morning david how are you good morning good yeah Thanks coming in so from sunny queensland <laughs> yeah, and, and that's yeah. where you are, right? So you're yeah, up, yeah. You're up in, uh, Is it sunny up there at the moment? It's At the moment, it's around.
1: good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the weather's starting to warm up um, and the bees are flying, so uh, where that's, I am anyway.
0: Yeah, it's, it's my beehive at home. The bees are not super active at the moment. It's been very cold here. But in saying that, we're not far away. We're starting to get some sunny days. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've got four or five over here in the west. Mate, I know it's become such a big, um, uh, such a big thing for so many gardeners to actually have their own beehives at home, and it's really a you know one of those things that once you start to learn how to care for your bees and the role they play within the environment that we all operate in, um, it becomes addictive. But (laughs) bees uh, worldwide, uh, honeybees, have really been under threat for some period of time and we had done very well to avoid that particular – there's probably two. So one of us was one that gardeners can control and that's the use of chemicals at home and, and understanding how chemicals can sometimes impact bee colonies. The second one was this mite, this varroa mite, and it's a pretty scary predator.
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's a parasite um, and it can um, increase the like, um, disease loads in, in hives. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's not good. Um, because it can cause um, colony collapses um, and, and uh, really, you know, increased spread of other diseases as well. So, right. um, yeah, that's why it's, it's caused major problems around the world. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of manageable, but, like, being free of it is the best thing.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So I know when it went into New Zealand, I think it was something like 80% of bee colonies were wiped out in the first two or three years. It, was, it had a devastating initial impact. Um, we, we've had it arrive, I think it came in through Newcastle Port and, um, there's very active plans at the moment to try and contain it. Do you know how that's going at present?
1: Yeah. So, um, there, um, this eradication is still ongoing, so, um, it's still considered feasible to eradicate. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, it came from the, the, like in the Newcastle area. Um, so I think they're over, um, uh, something like no, over ninety seven uh, I think um infested premises that they've detected so far yeah. So what the, yeah, so from the initial detection and then they look five kilometers around um the initial detection and then they um when they find a new one, they look five kilometres around there, et cetera, et cetera. and then um so those those are eradication zones um and then and then they will um get rid of all the beehives in in those zones just to sort of as a as a bit of a buffer and then yeah. look. Around, there's big volunteer effort at the moment um, to look around in surveillance zones, which is about uh, about 25 kilometers out, or another yeah, um, from the from the any infested premise. Yeah, and the, and so they're checking all of those hives for mites um, to see if they can detect anything. Um,
0: just to just to for those of of our friends who have tuned in today, um, what what. Does this pest look like in the hive? What 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 is it that's different to what we would normally see when we're looking inside our hive?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, visual inspection, like looking at bees, it's very difficult to actually detect them. Um, mm. So you, you, to be able to really detect them, you need to um, do several, uh, there's several different tests that you can do that are available. Um, so you can see them on a bee, but when the bees are moving around, it's very difficult. Um, they're about, one and a half millimetres to two millimetres wide. Right. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're easily visible by, by the naked eye um, if you can see them. Um, but on a moving bee, it's very difficult um, because of the, the colour, etc. cetera. Um, yes. So, yeah, so we're asking people to do, like when they're checking for mites, to do an alcohol wash. Uh, there's a lot of information about how to do an alcohol wash uh, available. Um, okay. and, and for a lot of this, what I'm talking about, um, there's information available on the Be Aware website, which is run by Plant Health Australia as sort of like a national focus kind of website. Um, okay. Yeah, well, and I'm so sure. yeah, sugar yeah. shake or an alcohol wash, um, or a drone uncapping, you can you can detect them using those methods. Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: okay. Now, yeah. at the at the moment, um, you know, we should all be very conscious of this. But I mean, at the moment, uh, it's it's basically New South Wales. It's completely locked down, as I understand it. That's, that's correct,
1: yeah. So um, there's movement restrictions within New South Wales because of that, um, yep. because one of the main ways that, that might get spread around is through beekeeper movement, really. Um, right. There is natural movement, like it can go between hives, like go from, from hive to hive, like travelling on bees. Yep. But that's relatively slow because um, right. beekeepers can move their hives hundreds of kilometres in a day. So um, yeah. so that's why there's movement restrictions, so that they're trying to contain it within that, that known area. Um, and so, yeah, so for all the other states, there's border restrictions about moving hives from North Wales um, mm. and moving hives around the country across borders, absolutely.
0: Is there, is there any risk of... Yeah. I was going to say, is there any risk of potentially transferring it through bee products, wax, honey... Is there any other any other ways? Um, process, be process
1: wax and honey are very very low risk. Um, the mite actually yes. needs, needs live bees really to live. Um, okay. There there is a risk um, mm-hmm. with things like because the mite can live up to about five or six days uh, without a bee, but it can't live longer than that. And so if you've yeah. been working on hives, uh, you know that that are in a known area infested area, you should probably shouldn't be. You know, um, you should be be aware of the um, the clothing. You know, anything that might be on your clothing, um, yeah. and, and make sure you know, and and not we're moving that equipment around. Um,
0: yeah, look, yeah. It, it's it's something that we should all be playing our part. I think to to hopefully, it would be a wonderful thing if we can eradicate it. Hopefully, uh, the work yeah. that's being done in New South Wales will do that. But I think we all need to be vigilant, don't we?
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it'll save a lot of um, a, a lot of pain and, and a lot of chemical usage and all of that sort of thing in trying to manage it if it does if it does get out. Um, yeah, so one of the things we're asking people to do is to make sure that um, where whichever state you're in, that you're if you own a hive that you're registered, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: that you're registered with your state department, yeah. um, and and that also ensures that if anything happens if there is an outbreak uh, they can notify you it's a m- like a major channel of communication if mm-hmm. you're not registered we don't know if you, you know that you're a beekeeper so yes. um yeah so that's one one thing and to also mark your hives with your identification number that you're given when you're registered so that okay. we know whose bees that that those hives belong to yeah. Um, yeah, yeah nice. and yeah, and um, and the, and now spring's coming up. It's a very busy time for beekeepers. They should be doing ma- a lot of maintenance, for, ready mm-hmm. for the honey flows that are that are coming,
0: like the when the flowering. Oh, and everything I was comes. going to ask you, you know, so yeah. so they're coming out. You know, they're pretty. I mean, they're still active, but not super active during the winter. And obviously, they're they're feeding off stored honey through this period of time. But exactly. we're about to move into this wonderful flowering period, and we're going to see mm-hmm. warmer days and a lot more activity. Um, what do people need to do this time of the year to make sure that their beehive is is healthy?
1: Yeah, so winter is a very stressful time um, because uh, the, yeah, lower honey flows, all of that sort of thing. So yeah. they could be starving. So um, so when the weather warms up, uh, as soon as. Practically possible, people should, weather permitting, uh, should be checking their hives, uh, yeah. and so they should be checking their hives for diseases um, or anything that might have built up over winter, uh, mm-hmm. and to fact, in fact, that they have enough food. So they might have to just, you know, give them a little bit of supplemental feeding to to kickstart them, you know, get them uh, laying more brood for the to get ready for the honey flows. Yeah, um, yeah, and they should also be checking for disease. That's a really big important, one, you know, really important one, um, and doing brood inspections Mm. um and so also because of the the mite outbreak we're asking people to uh while they're doing that if they can do a a, like conduct a mite check like do we actually make that part of their regular um inspections yeah um to to do like to to be aware of those methods like the the alcohol wash and the drone uncapping etc um so yeah to 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 look for those mites um and, and if they don't you know if they don't see any great but if they see anything suspect that they should be reporting it immediately
0: yeah, terrific. And just, just yeah. to, to go back and clarify, what, what are the most obvious signs uh, outside of being able to identify the mites on the bees themselves?
1: Yeah, so um, like, when they build up into to, to large-ish numbers, um, uh, the bees can start uh, looking a bit deformed or you can get low bee numbers yeah. uh, and those sorts of things. So so it, it, in the early stages of, of um, infestation, it's it's – it's actually difficult to to see those symptoms mm-hmm. um because the mite numbers are very low and we want to make sure that they they maintain like you know that they're low um, but when they build up into large numbers then you'll start seeing those those sorts of symptoms yeah mm-hmm. so um yeah
0: um deformed brood low numbers of bees all of that sort of thing yeah yeah there's a few questions coming through uh, from people and um you know, there's uh, there's people asking about um, ways to control the mites, and there's a very good one that's uh, that's raised. And I know that uh, in in horticulture and in gardening, yeah. uh, a lot of us are now reverting to using predatory mites to control other pests within the garden. So, beneficial insects um, and in- introducing those is is there sort of sort of uh, on the horizon a potential predator for the broom mite that might bring everything back into balance? Or is this just going to be uh, one of those challenges?
1: Yeah, it's another challenge. So um, there's a whole lot of different um, levels of, of control. So one is prevention. The best one is prevention. That's the lowest risk. Um, that's what we're trying to do now. Um, and then you start getting up into um, doing sort of uh, uh cultural controls to try and prevent spread, all that sort of thing. Um, and biocontrol is one of those ones. So that's, that's like the predatory mites. I'm aware of some research that they, that's that been done overseas. Um, and there was some initial promising with that, but like um, the latest reviews of that research has shown that um, there's still a long way to go um, before, before that's kind of ready to be used yeah for sure yeah
0: well hopefully okay. uh, hopefully that's something that's that's on the horizon in the future for us as, so. yes. as as an option but i mean in the meantime the the key message here is vigilance isn't it you know look out Absolutely. make sure your hives healthy um yeah. you know if, if there's any sudden kills of bees or any of those sorts of things um these are the sorts of things that we really need to be cautious of and and just again if somebody's unsure um how how can they contact you to to get some advice?
1: Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, we have our DAF call centre in Queensland, um, mm-hmm. but uh, for any state, you should have a call centre for for your um, your local um, department of agriculture. Or, yeah. Um, so so whichever state you're in, you should be calling their call centre or looking at their web pages. Uh, there's any state. There's a lot of information about beekeeping and what the regulations are and what 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 those. That sort of information is. Yeah, um, yeah the, the, the uh, contact details for each bi- biosecurity officer um, around the country uh, is available on the Be Aware website. That's that mm-hmm. they put those up there. So, if you need to get in contact with your local be bi- biosecurity officer, um, you
0: can go to the Be Aware website and take a look for them. That's fascinating, Dave. Look, thanks so much for your contribution today. I think this is something that we can all. Play a, a pretty important role in because if we're fortunate enough to be able to eradicate this, um, it repositions Australia in, in this very unique position we've been in, and that is one of the the best places on the planet for bees to hide, you know, to have their hives and thrive without threat of of you know pests like the Varroa mite or disease as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, and, and it would you know increases our um, our marketability etc. for having chemical free honey.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a big. That's a big, big deal, mate. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate your contribution. Uh, Thank you. Nice to nice to spend some time with Dr. Dave. You know, it's a really interesting problem at the moment. We do need to be very conscious because bees pollinate um, the flowers of so many of our key vegetables and fruit. In fact, it's said that one in every three mouthfuls of food we consume is as a consequence of pollination from honeybees. So to see something like what happened in New Zealand where 80% of the population of the bees was wiped out in just a very short period of time um, that's pretty scary and uh, it has some pretty significant impacts further down the line. So let's all play a, uh, an important role together. Now, look, we do have, um, we have a whole bunch of questions. You've been writing in and posting and it's fantastic. I really do appreciate this contribution. Um, it's a two-way street, this one, and, and I'm here to help you with your garden problems. So we might move straight into some questions. Now, Gray's in Victoria and Gray sent us a picture uh, and he it, it says, my citrus, my lemon, had leaf minor. Now, Yanks recommended white oil, which I have done religiously. However, the leaves keep curling and falling off. Now, I'm not seeing a tremendous amount of, of um, leaf minor disease, citrus leaf minor disease here. In fact, when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at a plant that's actually suffering from a deficiency and that's what's really interesting. Sometimes we think we've got a pest or disease, but in actual fact, this is all about nutrition, and citrus are what we call gross feeders. They need to be fed on a regular basis. It's really, really important. This particular problem here, I believe, is more about the the feeding, and particularly those trace elements that are coming through, and uh, I think that this one is actually a, a bit of a boron deficiency, which is Quite an unusual one, um, and the first thing that it'll do is it'll cause the leaves to to sort of fold round like this down on the outside edges, um, and they're very brittle. So in strong winds, etc., they'll break off and fall off. Now I'll, I'll go back to what Yates' uh, advice was with regards to applying their white oil product or pest oil product. They've given you the right advice, but there is sometimes some things you need to be aware. And uh, citrus leaf miner uh, is a moth and it flies around just on dusk. It's very active sort of in the early evening and it lays its eggs on the very new foliage, basically the buds of growth that are coming out. And as the, as the leaves start to open, um, the, the larvae hatch out of that egg and they work their way through drilling little holes through the leaf, which is that squiggly pattern you'll often see. Now, the real key here is when you apply this product. And that's what I wanted to make you aware of, and that was that um, if you apply it in the early evening, so late afternoon, early evening, the white oil, and you cover all the foliage, the white oil will stick to the the hairs on the moth's legs when they land, and they hate it, and they will get up and they will fly away. And that's a really important message. So sometimes, you know, you can say we recommend you apply white oil, for example, or pest oil or, or eco oil or one of those horticultural oils, But um, what's really important here is to understand when to do it. So if you do it in the middle of the day, by the time you get into the evening, much of that may have actually moved off the foliage and it's not actually acting as a deterrent. So as such, you're really not having any real effect. Just a bit of advice. Hopefully that helps Gray. But, yeah, it's actually a deficiency issue you've got. And um, I think that that will that will help a lot there's certainly not a lot of um not a lot of leaf curl uh, citrus leaf miner anyway that i can see in that space now we've gone from victoria let's go up to queensland to toowoomba and josh we're having trouble finding out information on magnolia solangiana uh, now this is a deciduous magnolia um it's absolutely beautiful those beautiful cup-shaped um uh, flowers i'm trying to find all i'm trying to find out is when is the best time of the year to prune it if at all Uh, Also, I've had two of these magnolias for two years now and they haven't flowered. Any advice? So, these are a deciduous tree. So, first thing to be aware of is that they will set their flowers about now. You'll see, you should see buds forming and um, they do like it cold. So, I'm hoping that you are getting some cold nights because that will trigger that flowering process. The second thing you need to be aware of is you don't want to prune coming out of winter or during winter because you're going to cut off the flower buds so in actual fact you wait until they finish finished flowering if you're going to prune and then move through and prune the tree they don't have to be pruned as such um they really are quite happy just to go on their own way but occasionally taking a bit of dead wood out or shaping them up is something you can do hopefully that helps josh vanessa i'm not sure where you're from this is really important folks please tell us where you're from it does make my life so much easier but Vanessa's question is, I've got a lily-pilly hedge um, and it looks like it's got pox. Can you tell me how to treat it? Okay, so having a look at this photo, it doesn't look super happy at all. And this is um, this is really interesting because this is a scale uh, issue that you've got here. And it is it really is quite a problematic um, infestation. White oil or certainly eco oil is going to make a big difference um, in controlling this. But all of that foliage, it's not going to recover. So there's two things you're going to need to do. You're going to need to prune this damaged foliage off. I would spray it immediately. But make sure you are drenching the whole plant. And, um, yeah, again, you know, white oil um, white oil is probably the best way to go. I've got some sitting right here. Um, and this, this particular one, um, oh, where are we? There we go, uh, is the Seasol uh, Earthcare White Oil. This is a really effective way to do it, but you have to make sure you, sh- you shoot up under the foliage and over the top of the foliage, and don't do it on a windy day. A little bit of advice. I'm just going to pop that back. Um, hopefully that helps still. This camera is amazing. It just follows me around wherever I go. Um, okay, so hopefully that helps, uh, Vanessa. But, yeah, I would get in and give them a really good good trim and then I would give them an intense spray with white oil and I would follow it up about two to three weeks later. Josh, unknown, a bore has just been sunk on the property uh, that you must live in and the salinity came back at 4,200 parts per million. Um, that's pretty intense. Um, is the salinity too high? For lawns and trees, and if so, how can I overcome this problem? Uh, that's that's a pretty salty water, uh, to be quite honest, Josh. Uh, I would be very, uh, very reticent to certainly have any of that on the foliage of the plants, and uh, it will probably cause crusting on top of the soil if you're if you're watering. Um, treatment for salt is very difficult; um, It's very hard to take salt out of the water. But I tell you what, we'll do. We'll I'll I'll get some expert advice because I'm certainly not the expert in this space. Um, We'll have to uh, chat to somebody maybe next week on the show about bore water and um, particularly salinity uh, because there's been so many challenges in recent times. Now, Catherine is actually in WA. Can you tell me what these are? They seem to be where some dying plants are. Okay. Do you know this one? That's curl grub and um if you're getting a lot of those in your soil at the moment uh they will be chewing on the roots of plants the soft new roots of plants and also um on lawns and and very active in lawns I've uh, been just doing some work in in uh, the vegetable vegetable patch at home and i've got quite a lot of them in the veggie patch and they wouldn't normally be a problem except for um with young seedlings they can chew the roots off young seedlings What I do have, though, in my garden is um, magpies. And I don't know whether you've seen this, but magpies and mudlarks, they will walk around and they'll tap the soil. They get their foot and they tap it. And often what this does is it triggers uh, these curl grubs to think that they are um, about to get rained on and they don't like getting, you know, saturated or sodden in soil, so they'll move to the surface. And there's, there's a message in that. So if we're getting lots and lots of rain, there's probably a pretty good chance that you can go out and pick a lot of these straight off the soil and um, keep your populations down. There are uh, chemicals that you can use that you can saturate the soil with, but I wouldn't recommend it. I'd much prefer just to let nature do her thing. Um, But if you're finding that when you saturate an area of soil and the time to do it's early evening, saturate it and then stand back, give it about 10 minutes and then see how many grubs you can see. And if you can see quite a few grubs, Uh, or you can see activity of beetles, the other one is black beetles, Um, you are going to have to probably treat it. So we'll see how we go. All right. Well, that's um, that's a pretty good start. We've got uh, some good questions. We've got some photos. We've done pretty well. We've had a very interesting interview. Now, Nev Passmore and I started the Garden Gurus 20 years ago. It's hard to believe. Um, Nev spent a bit of time in retirement and we managed to talk him out when COVID times hit to come and rejoin the show. And he's taken a visit into his local still dealer, so still uh, those German power tools that we all love and trust and rely on to make life easier. He's having a look at the still HSA Garden shear.
2: I've got a couple of massive hedges at home. Uh, One of them's over two metres high and more than 70 metres in length. And for that, I need an industrial-grade hedge trimmer. And this is just the sort of gear. But if you happen to have a courtyard garden and a tiny hedge, these are way over the top. But there is a tool just
3: for you. Now, Paul, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say this, but this looks really cute. Hey, it's cute, but it's effective. <laughs> yep. The Steel HSA 26 garden shear or shrub shear from Steel. Um, it's new to the lineup. It goes with the Steel GTA 26. It's a little garden shear. It also has the little hedge trimmer blades for shaping yep. those uh, bigger hedges. Yep. Look, it's very effective and again, lightweight, even with the battery in there, the AS2 battery. Clips in, little safety switch. way you go. Away you go. To interchange the blades, again, just push the two orange tabs in. Quick and easy. Pull the other cover off. Push those in, flip it in. Okay, now.
2: This is just the perfect tool for tiny hedges and, and even for topiary and that sort of thing. This would be pretty handy as well.
3: Oh, all those small yeah. intricate jobs. No, yeah. dead right. Even the lawn addicts out there who love tidying up their lawn edges, or even at my place where the runners are just running down the uh, the rock wall. Yep. Again, it just makes it a lot easier than right. using a wood sniffer. I hadn't uh, thought of it trimmer, for that. So, yeah, yeah it's least. got plenty of uses, and again, it's lightweight. An ideal birthday present too. Mother's yep. Day, Father's Day present. Absolutely, and there to be one of those coming up soon. Well, definitely, it's always someone's <laughs> birthday, isn't it, Neville? Absolutely, <laughs> hopefully it's mine soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's packed with safety features for, sh- for such a little device. So if you hit the trigger, nothing's going to happen until you engage the trigger lock. So engage your trigger lock, yep. and, and as soon as you let uh, the go of that, basically it stops immediately. Stop. Yep. That's it, and again, if you're worried about battery life too, you do have the indicator Ah, just here so as you can see it's flat at the moment or it's basically about to run out but four bars fully charged and away you go yep well i could just see this uh in the hands of a a keen gardener uh, being an absolute boon uh, for those fine and intricate sort of jobs definitely and even the lawn addicts out there who want to tidy up their edges or even at my place where the runners are running down the rock wall Can't put the whippersnapper in there. It's clean, it's effective, doesn't make a big mess either. So plenty of uses for this product, Neville.
2: When you've finished your cutting, uh, what's the maintenance you need to do before you pack it away?
3: So basically what we suggest you do is get the product called Seal Super Clean. It's a hedge trimmer product, which is designed to clean the blades, but also lubricate the blades, breaks down the sap, and next time you drag it out, it's gonna work. It won't be caught up and glued up. It yep. won't be glued up, yep. and again, it's safe for the plants too. So it's not like CRC or those other products where it can burn the leaves of the material. Yep. This is a biodegradable product, and again, it's safe for safe for use on plants, which is sure. important too. All right, well,
2: I absolutely must have one of these, so uh, I'm
3: out of here. Done, mate. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Good's that. That's um. That's a handy little tool. I've got to tell you. Reckon they could have used that for the uh, the beard as well. That would have been quite handy. Now look. Um. Before we are just about to go to my good mate David Van Berkel, and get this amazing deal um, that uh, the guys at Garden Express have put together. But uh, we're getting a whole heap of people sending us in um, po- very positive comments about biosecurity and how important it is and. Just here in the West, uh, in in recent times, we've had a problem with this chili mite that, or chili thrip that's come out of uh, Southeast Asia, um, and because there were no natural predators, it really caused huge problems with roses. Um, there's we've just uh, a good friend of mine, Sue Layton, um, who lives in one of the most beautiful parts of the world um, down south. Uh, she's just sent a note in to to say, look, um, you know, there's there's a number of these biosecurity threats at the moment that are really quite concerning that we all should be really watching out for. It's a really nice thing, I think, that we're all working together to make sure that we're on top of it. Sue raised uh, myrtle rust. Um, I've, I've got a, my, my good mate, uh, one of one of our the great breeders and plant growers, um, Mel, um, has just uh, sent us a note through to say that there is also an aloe mite, which, um, you know, the aloe, the, the succulents, um, that has somehow or other arrived. It's been discovered. It's another one being discovered in W.A., These are all things that we can all play a really positive part in if we identify them early and we can eradicate them. If we can eradicate them, we don't have to worry about living with them. We don't have to worry about using chemicals. These are really important things. So, um, yeah, thanks, Sue. Uh, Thanks, Mel. Uh, everybody who's made a contribution in that regard Um, controlling pests means that we use less chemicals we have beautiful gardens and we can spend all of our time enjoying them not worrying about um, keeping our plants alive or protected all right let's go to my very good mate david van burkel all the way over there, there he is over there in, in beautiful Melbourne and you're up in the hills. Tell us a little bit about the weather and what's going on over there at the moment, Dave. It's good to see oh,
4: you. We're having some beautiful days, Trevor. It has been cold. It has been wet. It has rained every other day and yeah. this last week or two we've had some furloughs. It's been really nice. Well,
0: this is all good stuff for um, for the spring though. You know, we need the rain, we need that cold weather because the benefits that uh, we will see in, in the next month, really, are going to be enormous, aren't they?
4: Absolutely. Good autumn leaves stem from cold winters and, uh, and as it is with uh, a lot of those cold climate plants that, um, well, sorry, the, the plants that like that cooler climate, your fruit setting on, on your berry canes and things like that. So, yeah, absolutely, it needs to be cold. And how do we enjoy the sun if we haven't enjoyed, you know, frozen cars in the morning?
0: Yeah, you, you never realize never realize how good it is um, when you've got that nice warm weather until it's really cold, and then you sometimes it's those mornings when you get out, the fingers aren't working, and you're trying to pick up six pots at a time, and all those things when uh, in the nursery trade, when you know you really appreciate just how cold weather can affect you. But look, we, we have a lot of exciting things to look forward to um, as we move into spring and um, spring and early summer. I this is a plant um, that I didn't really know a lot about, but I went to Korea and uh, I went to a beautiful garden uh, about two hours out of Seoul called the Garden of Morning Calm. And if you ever get a chance to go there, it is absolutely gorgeous and it's in a beautiful valley. And halfway down the valley, or literally from, I don't know, halfway down the hill um, to the base of the valley, on one side was this massive planting of peonies And I didn't, I had never seen peonies ever done that way, but they are the most spectacular plant.
4: They're incredible, mate. And the breeding that's happened throughout Asia uh, on peony roses is incredible. Um, We're talking today about the herbaceous peonies, but we've had ito peonies, rocky eye peonies, uh, your tree peonies. Um, So many different variants have come through and they're just incredible, aren't they?
0: Yeah, they really are. And look, this is, you know, in saying that I hadn't seen them, you know, the the thing was that they weren't certainly common uh, over here in the West where we're hot and dry and that's because peonies do prefer it cool. But, you know, typical of, of, I think I'm fairly typical of most gardeners in that um, I found a nice cool kind of damp spot in my garden. I got some peonies off you guys last year, planted them, and they have done incredibly well. And there's a message in that. We, we all have a spot for them. You guys have got a brand-new range that uh, that you're putting a special offer on, haven't you?
4: We have, Trevor, yeah. We're, uh, we've created for, for the viewers uh, the Ultimate Peony Lovers Collection, which is, uh, which is nine of our best herbaceous peonies. Uh-huh. As you said, I think that, you know, you just have to experiment a little bit and not be put off by uh, comments like, oh, it's a cool climate plant. Um, You know, with with some deeper soils, uh, a little bit of a a more shaded spot, you Mm -hmm. can find the right place in your garden uh, for
0: them. Um, Well, the thing that that I learned, David, was uh, even though we were over here in Perth, and they certainly weren't common, it was more that they weren't common than that they weren't, that they couldn't grow here. Because in actual fact, um, if you plant them on the south side of your house, so that you're getting the afternoon shade, um, they're a wonderful plant, and that's tree peonies and certainly the herbaceous varieties. Um, they, they do really, really well. So even in a hot, dry climate like the one that I live in, um, they do well. But when you get up into the mountains, you know, in Victoria or New South Wales or cool. even out of Brisbane, um, the, the ability to grow these is actually something that we can all do and certainly... You know, when it comes to mainstream sort of city gardens, there's spectacular peonies all throughout sort of Victoria and, and certainly um, New South Wales. I've seen them doing really well there as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. You probably wouldn't have a commercial grow over there for, for cut flowers or anything. And they, they fetch incredible prices for up to $5 for a bloom.
0: Per bloom, right?
4: Yeah, per bloom, you know. And and they display the juice saw uh, in Korea. They they do that like the Dutch do tulips, don't they? They do. And and you just don't get to see peonies like that because the growers pick all of those flowers. Um, The plants reproduce and you might get 30 or 40 blooms off an established plant, uh, but they pick them all. So there's never um, a place in Australia where you can go and see a crop of peonies, like you can
0: overseas in a place like Korea or Japan. Now, David, you have done you've done gardeners a big favour here because you you have this collection. We we just saw Nev. He he's going to reveal it all on the Garden Gurus tomorrow afternoon. But um, for our viewers, our participants today, there's an opportunity for them to get in early. Tell us about the pa- the, the package that you've got together.
4: Okay, so the package is uh, it's valued at one hundred and twenty-one dollars. And uh, as you can see on your screen there, my team have discounted that to 72. But I just gave Connor a sideways stare and went, that's a really weird number. So for the next couple of hours, Trev, it's gonna be sixty-nine dollars for the people who are watching right now.
0: 69 bucks. That's 69 incredible. incredible. Can, nice. can I place my order, David, before anybody else gets them all? I'll give you a couple of minutes, Trev. <laughs> <laughs> that's sensational. That's a great deal. So $69. Yes. So tomorrow tomorrow on the TV show, it's going to be 72, but for the 72. next couple of hours, 69 bucks if you get your order in. And the way to do it?
4: Uh, well, there might not be any left on the TV tomorrow if, uh, if people get it at 69 bucks. Yeah. Uh, unexpress.com.au, and the penny offer will be uh, will be up there on the homepage, easy to click through and, uh, and grab
0: it. Mate, thank you very much, um, and thanks so much for your support of the Garden Gurus Live. This is a really popular thing with so many people. In fact, I think it's an important part of uh, a number of people's sort of daily routine. We get so many regulars that continually make contributions, and I know that uh, that people really do appreciate that um, that you help us put this to to air each week. And then you don't just do that; you actually go and give us some pretty amazing. Plants and special deals, so it's, it's very much appreciated.
4: No problems. I really appreciate the time. It's a, it's a really good forum to uh, to talk, and, and your new format looks fabulous. I can I can uh, read what uh, what some of the people are sending in. Yeah, and, and past comment. And I did want to say with the quarantine, I think it's fabulous that people are embracing that. Uh, for a long time, people thought that it was just not worth it. And we go a lot of effort to um, to dip the plants and make sure that the soils are clean of any bugs and diseases, and the tops of the plants. And our maintenance program in our nursery is keeping plants, you know, clear of bugs and things all the time. And we ship a lot of product to uh, to customers in Western Australia, and we love their custom, and yeah. uh, and we really enjoy that process. So. Pleased to be able to deliver it and uh, and great to be talking to you again
0: today. Mate, look, I, I, know, I know I'm know, i over here in the West, but um, I'm just looking at all the different, uh, we've got people from Adelaide, from Mount Gambier sending us um, questions through, from Queensland, from New South Wales and Victoria, where we're going all over the place. And folks, this deal is actually available for you wherever you are in Australia. It's The great thing about Garden Express is that you are the garden centre that delivers direct to your door. It doesn't get any easier than this.
4: All across Australia as well, Trev, and it's so much fun to do it. I'm just going to comment, though, I saw in the little promo there about putting the peonies in the black pots, and I have yeah. experienced in the past that in the summer sun, uh, the peony will actually probably uh, cook in a, in a small black pot like that. Yeah. So I'd be going for a 30 centimetre to 40 centimetre That's tub nice. and then keep it cool in the summer, keep it out of direct sun. It was
0: time. really interesting because um, Nev, when he did that story, he, Nev's got a sister who lives down in Albany where peonies grow really, really well, and he was he was actually, he bought them specifically as a gift for her. So he's putting them into those pots, bundling them up in a box and then taking them down for her to put into a garden, obviously, as, as they get growing and start to establish. And, and that sometimes is also a trick is, you know, get them get them up and growing quickly in some really good soil, and once they're on the move, get them into the garden, into that perfect spot, and they never stop growing all the way through the season.
4: We grow many thousands in exactly that size pot, Trevor, and then all we do is in the summer months we put a shade cloth over any of them that are left uh, to allow uh, them to continue to grow. And they can spend years in that pot. It's just that warning that if I have once left them in the full sun, you know, yeah. 538 degrees summer, yeah, not so good.
0: No, and look, what we do know about black pots, of course, is that, you know, the the black absorbs the heat. so. Yeah. And, you know, the way plants grow is they they send their roots out and they literally they go out sideways, but when they hit that pot, they hit the side of the pot and they grow down the side of the pot. So you don't want all that heat on those roots because they're going to dry out a lot quicker and potentially shock. So your advice is absolutely spot on. Again, thanks, mate. Have a, have a great week. I'm going to be in Melbourne next week. I'll... I'll give you a, a call and see if I can pop in and buy a cup of coffee or something.
4: Right, that sounds fantastic, and I've uh, I've got an orchid here, you know, grown in the southern states. Just just outsizes
0: yours a little bit. Maybe you can. <laughs> make- <laughs> it's a competition. I love it. Good on cool. you, mate. All right, great talking to you. Cheers, David. That's great. Thank you. We we I know I know what you're saying. Lots of chatting going on here, but. I've got questions I want answered and uh, they're flying through. Graham is in Melbourne. If you have mulch on the garden, do you sprinkle fertiliser on top and water it in? Uh, Yes. The answer is, Graham, yes. Now, if you're using a controlled release fertiliser, you will need to make sure that it's getting watered. So very important that you are actually um, getting the water um, onto that so that it continually uh, breaks down. Something like Osmocote, which... Uh, distributes its nutrients through osmosis is a really good example. Okay, let's keep flying along, Tyson. It's great to have you join us, Tyson. Your contributions every week are so much appreciated. Thank you. Now, Tyson is into sowing seeds. We know that he does a lot of lot of um, a lot of different seeded vegetables. This week, the question is Chinese cabbage, uh, Nagoaka. It's a Japanese um, cabbage, actually that particular variety. And uh, wants to know if you should be sowing or can be sowing seeds into his garden beds. And the answer is, it's about the perfect time to do it. Tyson, now is the time to get them into the um, into the soil. Just a little thing with seeds. Uh, when you're planting seeds, you only need to plant them twice the width of the seed. So a Chinese cabbage seed is tiny, so you don't have to you don't have to put them down deep in the soil. So it's just a small little. Borrow a little line in the soil, pop them in, and then just push the dirt back over the top, water it. And within, I'm going to tell you, 14 days, Tyson, you're going to see the cotyledons, those first leaves start to emerge out of the seed as the plant starts to get established. And at that point, we do what we call pricking out. So we we pick them apart so that we only have one or two plants in each little spot, and we spread them across through the garden bed, and you should end up with a great crop. of of the Chinese cabbage. Okay. Marina is in Sydney. Hello, Marina. We have a lot of ants appearing in strawberry pots and beds. I was told if the soil is wet, they'll move away, but it's not happening. Now, and you checked for aphids, you can't see any. You've tried coffee grounds. They seem to like that. I pretty much enjoy my coffee the same way as well. Um, Marina, you know what? The thing that you need to do, the advice you heard about soil being wet is really important. But if they're getting into pots and they're getting to garden beds, You may have some dry pockets in there. So what I'm going to recommend you do is you grab yourself and I can't see. Oh, yes, I can. I can see some right here. And I suppose this camera is following me around again. It's a little creepy, I know. Um, But it's this product here. So it's um, Seasol Super Soil Wetter. Now, this is an incredible wetting agent that is actually infused with seaweed extract as well. And it's so effective in making sure that moisture is evenly distributed through the soil. When you apply that, the great benefit for you is that um, the soil will be saturated and the ants will get up and they'll go somewhere else. Now that's not necessarily meaning they're gonna go away. Uh, It may be quite problematic because they may go to a shed or under the foundations of your house. And um, if if that's not gonna be a problem for you, then fine. If it is, you may need to treat them in another way, maybe use a chemical to control them. Um, But my advice would be start with a wetting agent. You can't go wrong. Leonie, let's go to South Australia. Oh, no, sorry. We'll go to Claremont in WA first. Lynn, I've recently planted six lush and dark green gardenias, and whilst I know they are big feeders, what can I do to keep them looking healthy, lush, and dark green, please? Okay, so this is a really interesting problem. Um, And, Linda, the the, the answer to this is that gardenias are gross feeders. In fact, they use a very similar nutrient blend or rely on that as citrus do. So you can feed gardenias with a citrus fertiliser or a specialist camellia and azalea fertiliser. That is also a good way to go. But it's when you feed that's vitally important. So during the winter, they pretty much shut down. And that's when we tend to see deficiencies start to show up a bit of a yellowing or dullness in the leaf Um, maybe some dark green veins that's also quite common they're indications of a lack of magnesium or iron and all of these are vitally important so making sure you've got all those trace elements in a complete fertilizer is the way to go but when you apply it you apply it in october you apply it again in january you apply it again in april maybe early may if you have a later winter And those three really strong feeds, those three supplementary feeds will generate a good growth, a lovely dark green glossy foliage and great flowering. So there's a bit of advice. Leonie in Adelaide. Hello, Leonie. I have a new kangaroo Oh, yeah, I have new kangaroo paw plants in pots. Some leaves are developing black ends. Otherwise looks healthy. What should I do? Now, It depends on your variety, but kangaroos do suffer uh, from ink spots or black spot or speck, sometimes it's called. Ink spot disease is a fairly common thing with a lot of kangaroo-poor varieties. Now, there are a lot of varieties that are being bred um, that are extremely resistant to this. Uh, The treatment for them, very difficult to really control this, but you can use some copper sprays, and sometimes that can be quite beneficial in reducing the transfer of the bacteria that's causing this particular problem. Um, so maybe uh, one of those, uh, one of the Yates copper sprays might be uh, the go. Something like liquid copper. That product there. That's a good example. I hope this um, this new sort of setup here. Uh, is a little bit more convenient it's good for me to be able to pick things out and show you what they look like so you can head into your local garden center or bunning store and and pick them up okay let's come back to wad hello d is there a product i can use to stop the next lot of weeds germinating the huge front area that is natives and mulch actually d the most important thing is the mulch so if you've if you've gone through and done a bit of a control on weeds now is a, a great time to actually put a layer of mulch over the top. And it really should be nice and deep, about 100 mil, sort of about that sort of depth. It sounds like a lot, but it'll make such a big difference to the growth throughout the rest of the year. So um, uh, it'll keep moisture in the soil, it'll smother out weeds and it'll look fantastic. Try that day, that'll do the job. Teresa, I'm not sure where you are, but in the heavy recent rains, we, had, we got flooded uh, with the next door's red clay fill. Um, we have sandy soils but now have a layer of clay in the gardens, some I can't dig out because of how plants can break it up. Okay, so I think, I think what you've got here is obviously it sounds like it's been a bit of um, clay movement onto the property. You're probably getting a bit of a, a caking on top of the soil. There's two things you can do. You can either fork the soil, so get some holes in, and then that clay will sort of penetrate evenly down into the soil. Or the other thing uh, that you can do is you can add something like gypsum, and gypsum will cause the clay to crumble into little balls and become a lot more pliable, and uh, gypsum is a, a completely natural calcium product so um, it's ph neutral so it's not something you don't have to worry about it if you've got alkaline soils or even acidic soils it's not going to change your ph but it will improve drainage so hopefully that helps Um, coming back to wa carols from riverton my sweet peas still haven't flowered did i plant them too early so traditionally anzac day is the day with sweet peas they should be coming into flower in the next sort of four weeks. I wouldn't worry too much, Carol. They'll be on their way. One problem that some people do have with sweet peas is giving them lots and lots of nitrogen fertiliser, and I wouldn't recommend that because that just encourages growth and not flower. So hopefully that little bit of advice uh, is exactly what you want. Now, um, I just wanted to show you these beauties because um, my my good friend, out uh, at Flora Flora Plant, Richard Deckers um, has just put all of these into great garden centres um, right across WA. But of course, uh, Phalaenopsis or moth orchids are something that will grow uh, or are growing all over the country, and they are one of the most resilient plants you will ever get. So, grow them; the the flower will come through when the the flowers drop off, you can get branching from these nodes and you'll get new flower buds come off. Or if you don't get the branching and you don't get the new flower buds, um, there'll be a new growth come out of the the bottom of this. And every year these get bigger, the plants get bigger and they produce multiple stems. They end up being a massive asset. And look at the colours of some of these flowers. They are just simply gorgeous. And um, I'll just show you again. So that's a solid pink. They really are just one of those plants that you just can't get enough of. I've got another one handed over here. This one I was really uh, impressed with today. That's just a gorgeous colour. Again, so um, you can see uh, what we're we're doing here is we're showing you one plant that you can grow that's indoors uh, and will make a massive um, contribution as far as a living bunch of flowers goes. But, but most importantly, it can continue on. So you can take them out, plant them in the garden. As soon as you start seeing new flower stems, bring them inside and let them flower again. And they will flower year in, year out. That is the Phalaenopsis orchid or moth orchid. And as I said, as they get older, they just get better. A bit like me, I reckon. Definitely like Nigel Ruck. Here's a little sneak peek of what's coming up this weekend on our very first episode this spring of The Garden Gurus. <laughs> Growing your own at home has never been smarter, and it's easy. I'll show you how.
3: Welcome to Ilda's garden. She's filled this garden with a treasure
4: trove of plants. So let's wander.
0: I've got a fresh selection of rainbow chard here, straight from Trev's garden, and I'm going to make a ricotta and rainbow chard nudie. All right. Well, that's just a little glimpse of what's coming up this weekend. It's a great show. I was really thrilled with it. It's terrific to have some contributions coming through um, from a couple of new faces as well. So you saw Brendan Pang there. And if you want to know what a nudie is and you want to um, follow his recipe, you're going to love it. Brendan, of course, uh, was ex-master chef these days. He has... Bumplings, which is a wonderful dumpling restaurant. And um, he is a great educator when it comes to food and so passionate. And when I got talking to him about uh, the challenges I have in my garden, being that we grow lots and lots of, of vegetables and fruits, and sometimes we don't know what to do with it all. Um, he sort of said, well, how about I come and, and, and help you out and I'll come up with some recipes and we'll share it with viewers. So there you, there you see, it was really, really good. Now, um, I should say to you that um, we are going to... Oh, we've still got a few questions. Can... Time for three questions. Time for three questions, I've been told by Robin. Um, but I, I should also say to you that watch the show on the weekend because you'll see Dr. Buggerlugs, um Daryl Hardy, who is an entomologist, um, extremely interesting man, sharing his knowledge about pest control and uh, very much talking about the life cycle of pests so we help, we can understand uh, how to treat them so much better. All right, now I will fly through these questions. Here we go. Marie, I'm not sure where you're from. I've got two magnolias, Celangiana and the White Yulan. Now, can I cultivate these and when is the best time? Actually, if they haven't, uh, so the White Yulan, if I'm correct, is um, is pretty much evergreen. Uh, it, it does sort of, it does defoliate, but it, it doesn't go fully dormant. They can be grown any time of the year. Celangiana, Now's a great time to be taking small tip cuttings about that big of Selangiana and uh, popping in. But don't take the the stems that have got clear flower buds on. Obviously, you want the flowers to stay in the plant. Um, What you want to do is go for those that don't have flower buds so you know that's going to be foliage. You take the cuttings and pop them into a propagating mix and you should see them drop roots pretty quickly. So that's a good way to go. Now, gray uh, Gray is back from Melbourne. So, Gray, we chatted earlier on about your problem, but you said you're Sir Walter Buffalo is all but gone over winter. Will it come back? And you know what? This is a saturation problem. This is actually a really serious issue um, that we're all facing right across Australia with the heavy rains we've had. Even here in Perth, my my buffalo grass is really struggling um, in most instances. It should come back, but the trick is going to be to control weeds so that they're not competing uh, with the lawn. So hopefully that that helps. Um, a little bit grey and uh, as I mentioned before also the other thing that you can do is you can add something like gypsum to improve the structure of the soil and hopefully the drainage and that will encourage the Sir Walter to to grow but we've just got to get some dry weather um sort of flowing through now Sandra's in central Queensland great um a great contribution now you're just telling us a little bit about your environment the temperatures are consistently 25 to 28 degrees is it too early to pull up hippie bulbs as I'm about to do it today, preparing new soil and replanting the bulbs. Thanks so much. At that sort of temperature, they should be on the grow. So um, you should be seeing some sort of movement. Great thing about hippies, though, is that they can really be transplanted, you know what, just about any time of the year. As long as you're careful with them and they go into a good new home, um, they'll be fine. So the answer to the question really is yes, you can absolutely... Uh, lift them up I hope that helps now we've run out of time can't believe it what a busy hour we've had first up show I hope you enjoyed it and I really appreciate you um, you know I suppose just making this contribution um, when, you, when you communicate with us it helps us understand what's going on in your backyard and this is, I suppose, really important in shaping the stories that we do on the Garden Guru's TV show, which you are going to see this Saturday at 4.30 p.m. on Channel 9 right across Australia and, uh, and also through uh, their affiliates regionally. Robin is going to send a message out to our seed winners after today's show. Um, Joe Harris is coming in next week. Is that right? Okay, so you're going to get to see Joe next week. Friday, 9 a.m. Western Standard Time, and that is 11 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Um, Remember, you can always jump onto our website if you want some more information or you want to see previous stories from the Garden Gurus. um, You can do all of that on our website or you can check out our YouTube channel, which also has all of our programs. And, of course, Channel 9 are playing them continuously on 9 Live. They're available for download on 9 now. So if you've missed... Uh, the First Up episode, don't worry about it. You can watch it again online now. You can also listen back to today's live stream if you've enjoyed it and you've missed a few bits or you just want to run back over it again. You can do it by going to Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Audible. They are all platforms that you'll be able to effectively listen to our podcast. And um, yeah, as I said, please make sure you tune in. Your support for The Garden Gurus over 20 years has been amazing and we really do appreciate you tuning in each week and supporting the program channel 9 love us for it and we love doing it for you so everybody wins happy gardening i hope you guys have a great weekend i look forward to seeing you again really soon